As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we pray that your spirit would open our hearts and minds as we hear your word and discern what it has to say to us this day. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jessica Jackley was six years old when she first heard in her Sunday school class stories about people who were poor. She was told that Jesus wanted her and all of her young classmates to help the poor. Jessica was intrigued. That felt like a big job, an important job. And even more surprisingly, it seemed that God needed her help and that was thrilling. Not long after that, also in Sunday school, Jessica learned another of Jesus' sayings, the poor will always be with us. Now that she found confusing. She understood that God had given her a job to do, but it also sounded like it was a job that could never actually be finished. It kind of felt like she was set up for failure. Once she became a young adult, Jessica realized she had developed a predictable response to people in poverty. Every time she heard about the so-called poor, she felt bad for them. She felt guilty about her own relative wealth and that she wasn't doing more to make things 
better. Gradually, she began distancing herself. She gave money and volunteered her time, but after a while, she realized that mostly she gave when the negative feelings built up enough that she needed relief, which meant her giving was really more about relieving her own suffering than anyone else's. Then she heard Dr. Muhammad Yunus speak. Dr. Yunus won the Nobel Peace Prize for his work pioneering microfinance, which makes financial services available to those living on just a few dollars a day. When Jessica heard him speak, she got so excited and inspired that three weeks later, she quit her job and moved to East Africa. She lived among the people there and spent time interviewing entrepreneurs who had received $100 to start or grow a business. Slowly but surely, she developed relationships and began to bridge the gap with those she had always thought of as the nameless poor. As with so many of the stories Jesus tells, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus at first seems logical. The rich man has everything he could want in this life and suffers terribly in the next, while Lazarus suffers terribly in this life but spends eternal life in paradise. The way Jesus tells it, the two characters are really caricatures. The rich man is so wealthy, he wears fine purple robes and eats sumptuous feasts, not just on special occasions, but every single day. When the text says he wore purple robes and fine linen, the word linen is a reference to undergarments. So he wasn't just wearing expensive outerwear, but the finest underwear too. And the fact that he feasted every day means he didn't observe the Sabbath nor did he allow his household to observe it. His servants, cooks, waiters had to work on the Sabbath just like every other day of the week. As for Lazarus, he is as pathetic a man as we can imagine. He can't do anything but lie at the gate, hoping that something from the rich man's table will come his way. His only companions are dogs who are kind enough to lick his sores, which may have actually promoted healing. Now, this is the third in a string of consecutive parables we have considered from Luke's gospel, starting with the prodigal son, then the dishonest manager, and now Lazarus and the rich man. All parables that ask us to rethink our initial assumptions about people, to question the snap judgments we human beings are so good at making. One of the remarkable things about today's parable is that for the first and only time in any of the parables Jesus tells, one of the characters gets a name. That character is Lazarus. The name Lazarus means the one God helps, which seems ironic here since in life at least, there is no help for Lazarus. And although Jesus names him in the parable to the rich man, Lazarus is just one of the many nameless poor. Then both men die and go to their respective places in the afterlife. Once there, they are separated by this great chasm. 
In their earthly life, what separated them was metaphorical, but in the afterlife, this chasm between them is literal. They can see each other and talk to each other, but the gap between them cannot be crossed. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, Jesus tells another parable that describes a great division that takes place in the afterlife. In that parable, Jesus comes in glory, surrounded by angels with all the nations gathered before him. And he begins to separate people into two groups. Then Jesus welcomes those at his right hand into the kingdom. For he says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. But those seated there at his right hand are confused, asking, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you? Jesus assures them, just as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Likewise, he explains to those at his left that they will now depart into the eternal fire because I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Now this group is also surprised. Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and did not take care of you? And Jesus says, just as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. With this parable, as with most of the parables, Jesus is telling us how to live as God's people. And it is all about how we live with one another, how we treat each other. Jesus invites us to treat every person as a child of God who deserves not only God's love, but our love. And what it takes to show God's love turns out to be remarkably simple. A cup of water to someone who is thirsty, a meal for someone who is hungry, a word of welcome to a stranger. These things are not complicated. They're not expensive. Many of them aren't even time-consuming. But according to Jesus, this is how we create the kingdom of God, what some have called the beloved community, right here and right now. The rich man in today's parable is an example of what it looks like to reject this calling. For Jesus describes someone who lived most of his life with a hungry, thirsty, desperately sick man lying right on his doorstep and never once doing anything to help him. Not a glass of water, not the scraps from his table, nothing. Now we could tell ourselves that maybe he just didn't notice Lazarus lying there, but the story won't let us do that. Because once the rich man and Lazarus enter the afterlife, we discover that the rich man knows Lazarus's name which means his decision not to help Lazarus must have been intentional. Not only that, but even in the afterlife, the rich man continues to treat Lazarus as if Lazarus should serve him and not the other way around. He doesn't say, please let me come over to where you are and get a drink of water. 
He says, send Lazarus over here to me to give me a drink. And when he finds out that isn't going to happen, he doesn't ask if he can go warn his brothers about the fate that awaits them. He wants Lazarus to go on his behalf. Even in death, the rich man cannot see Lazarus as a human being, someone worthy not just of the scraps from his table, but of his time and attention, his respect, and even his love. This week's virtual vacation Bible school is called Compassion Camp. And each day, over 60 children in our community and their families will be learning what compassion is and how they can practice compassion in their daily lives. These are lessons we could all benefit from, especially in these difficult days when there is so much fear and mistrust and division among us. So I share with you these Compassion Camp teachings and hope that we can all spend some time this week reflecting on how we understand and practice compassion. First, compassion helps us really see people and welcome everyone into God's beloved community. Compassion empowers us to release our judgments and our anger and our resentment of the ways the world isn't what we thought or wanted. Compassion not only empowers us to accept all people as worthy of belonging, it helps us to see them for who they really are. Second, to practice compassion, we need to be brave. Being present with someone long enough to get past our initial assumptions based on appearance requires courage and intention. It requires us to focus not just on the person in front of us, but also on Jesus, who invites us to see everyone as God's beloved. Third, to show compassion to others, we first have to learn to love ourselves. Jesus' commandment to love others as we love ourselves reminds us that loving and accepting ourselves is a key ingredient in loving and accepting others. When we recognize that we are no better or worse than anyone else, and when we practice mercy towards ourselves, it opens up in us a deep capacity for compassion. Fourth, compassion can be as simple as being present with another person. We don't have to do or give or have anything. We just need to be with someone. To practice compassion takes time, but so often our true heartfelt presence is the most important gift we have to offer another person. Finally, compassion gives us a fresh start even when we've made a mistake. Seeing one another through eyes of compassion gives us the opportunity to start over, to set aside our former ways of thinking, to correct injustices, to seize each new moment as a chance to let go of assumptions and stereotypes and to practice loving kindness. When she lived in Africa, 
and from a posture of humility and empathy built relationships with individuals, Jessica Jackley discovered the power of compassion. This experience finally helped her put to rest any feelings of superiority she might have had about the poor. As she got to know people, she was so moved by their stories that she wanted to find a way to connect them with other people, people who had the means to lend small amounts of money so that the entrepreneurs she was meeting could turn their dreams into reality. She did this by founding Kiva, an organization that allows people like you and me to make microloans as little as $25 at a time, not to organizations or unnamed groups of people, but to specific entrepreneurs whose pictures and stories we can see and read about. Since 2005, Kiva has lent nearly $1.5 billion to small business owners in developing countries, all because Jessica Jackley got to know people who had been labeled poor. She got to know them as human beings with stories that matter. Through Kiva, she now provides others a way to build relationships across differences, even from half a world away. Again and again, Jesus' parables teach us that having a relationship with God requires us to enter into genuine relationships with others. The parables show us that our love for God and our love for our neighbors simply cannot be separated. And our relationships with others cannot just be with those we already know and love and feel comfortable around. God calls us into relationship with those who are totally different, maybe even offensive, to us. It can be overwhelming to know how to do this or what it might look like, but Jesus teaches that we do it through the simplest acts of compassion that can ultimately have a huge impact. A sip of water, a kind word, the gift of true presence. This doesn't mean it's easy. Far from it. As Mother Teresa once said, there are many people who can do big things, but there are very few people who will do the small things. God calls us to do the small things, to show compassion for the person in front of us in any given moment, to be fully present, to open our hearts and hands that we might bridge the chasm that separates us from others one small act of compassion at a time. Amen.